Well, today is part two of the message we started last week titled Encounters with Christ. Three broken lives were changed in a moment when they encountered Christ, a thief, a murderer, and an adulteress. The thief who was at the end of his life, the murderer who was on a mission to end life, and the adulteress who was stuck in a life of shame. All three were completely broken, yet they all encountered Christ. There's only two ways to encounter Christ. Either willingly you come to him in your brokenness, or he will come to you and reveal your brokenness. Last week when we began looking into these three lives and their encounter with Christ, we discovered that we too can be just like them, a thief, a murderer, and an adulteress. By definition, a thief is one who takes possession of another's property. Well, the Bible states in Isaiah 43 that this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Yet we hold on to our lives as our own. We plan our days without even a thought for God. Well, apart from Sunday, if we're a quote, unquote, good Christian. So according to the definition, we are a thief. But we learned in the lesson of the thief on the cross that it's never too late. It's never too late to ask God for forgiveness, to accept his new life. And it's never too late to ask God, even if you've been a Christian all your life, to be the center, the reason, the king of your every day, of your every minute. To be the priority of your day, not the priority of your one hour once a week, but your every day. It's never too late. When we looked at the life of the adulteress, we discovered that she lived to please everyone except the only one she should live to please. Isn't that often the case in our own life? We also that discovered that when we do something we know is wrong, we, this weight of shame comes upon us. And then because it's something that we did wrong, well, we're not going to ask somebody to help us because we did it. We did it to ourselves. So instead of crying out, falling out in our brokenness, we continue to just stay in this cycle of shame and living cycle to cycle, shame, shame. Because we, well, we can fix it. We can do this. Oh, God, every week, don't we cry out? Oh, God, we'll read more. We'll pray more. We're going to spend more time with you. And then the week goes by, and all of a sudden we look around, and it's Sunday again. Oh, all those promises. Well, it just continues to go because we think that for some reason, we think we can change ourselves. And we get caught in this cycle of shame, but we looked at, what Paul said in Romans 7, he actually tried to define that cyclish shame by saying, those things I really want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. Who's going to save me from this wretched life? And then he cries out in that last verse of 25, and he says, but thanks be to God 
who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's it. When we stop trying to save ourselves, when we finally surrender to God, when we come in our brokenness before God, that's when we experience that bondage-breaking encounter with Christ. And the story of the adulteress taught us that whatever we've done, whatever we're doing, wherever we're caught in that cycle of shame, it's never too big for God. So today I want to look at the life of the murderer who was oblivious to his brokenness. So instead of coming willingly like the thief did, like the adulteress did, God had to encounter him. Which was what we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 9. It's Saul's life. Turn over in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. We have a lot of scripture to read today, but I'm sure you're just all energized from such a great weekend and energy just coursing through, and the coffee's been coursing, and you're ready, and, and you got your oh, vitamin water, and you're ready to go, and taking notes. Oh, I know, you're Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read to you out of the New International Version so you can follow along with me either on your U version or in the Bibles provided for you there in the seat pockets. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, I love suddenlies, when I'm wanting suddenlies. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias replied, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings 
and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, there's immediately, suddenly, immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, suddenly, immediately, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. God, I ask right now that you open our hearts, Lord, to receive your word, that we'll be doers of your word, not just hearers. God, change our hearts today. Let us encounter you today, God, in a transformational way, encounters that will change us from this day forward, deeper, more in love with you, more on fire for you. Have your way in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Saul actually believed he was doing the Lord's work by throwing into prison and murdering anyone who followed Jesus' teaching. He was oblivious to his brokenness. There's four important points to Saul's encounter with Christ I want to look at. Number one, God had to bring him to his knees. He didn't keep him on his horse and talk to him. He had to bring him to his knees. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. You can't be sitting on your high horse and encounter God. You have to be on your knees, on your face, at his feet. Again, either you do this willingly or God will do it for you. Has to, pride has to be broken. It has to be broken. St. Augustine said it was pride that changed angels into devils. Thomas Jefferson said, pride will cost you more than hunger, more than thirst, more than cold. Pride will cost you more. Over and over again, God gives us opportunities to come to him, willingly come to him broken. To get out of that driver's seat. To surrender to his created plan for our life. God waits for you to come to him. But if you don't, he will come to you. But he will have to knock you off that horse. He will have to break that pride. And boy, it's sure nicer to come to God and lay it down than it is for him to knock it down. But he loves you enough that he will. He will come. In the Living Bible, Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, the holy one, says this, 
I live in that high and holy place where those with contrite, humble spirits dwell. And I refresh the humble and give new courage to those with repentant hearts. For I will not fight against you forever, nor always show you my wrath. If I did, all mankind would perish. The very souls that I have made. You see, I was angry and smote those greedy men, but they went right on sinning, doing everything evil their hearts desired. I have seen what they do. But listen to this. Verse 18 says, But I will heal them anyway. I will lead them and comfort them. I will help them mourn and help them confess their sins. He's saying, I will. If it takes me knocking them off their high horse, I will do it. He loves you enough. He will run after you. He loves you enough. He don't care about your pride cares about your soul, cares about eternity and where you're going to spend it. He don't care about your comfort, even though we want to believe that he will. Make me comfortable, Lord. You love me, make me comfortable. He said, I'd rather you be right than comfortable. You see, he goes on in verse 19 and says, Peace, peace to them, both near and far, for I will heal them all. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still. It always churns. It churns up mire and dirt. There will be no peace, says my God, for them. You see, when he comes to you and he knocks you off your horse to bring you broken before him, if you stand up and refuse, I will not be broken. I can do this myself. He says, there's no peace then for those. So number one is God has to bring you to your knees. He had to bring Saul to his knees. Number two, Jesus said, you are persecuting me. Isn't that interesting? When we read in that, Acts 9 said he was persecuting those that were following the way. But when Jesus knocked him off his high horse, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Jesus takes it very personally when we don't treat his children the way we're supposed to. You know, why don't we turn over to Matthew chapter 25? God's been turning in me that we might be doing a series on the sheep and goats. In Matthew chapter 12, 25, see, he, right before here, right before this, he starts, he's sharing parables. He's, uh, you know, it's like, it's like this, it's like this. But he doesn't say this is a parable. When he talks about the sheep and the goats right here, he starts in verse 31 and he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. This is exactly what's going to happen. It's not a parable. It's not a what if. It's not a nice story that we can, you know, read at bedtime. This is, it's going to happen. Verse 31, when the Son of Man 
comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will set on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did directly to me. He takes it very personally. And the, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you know what's going to come here, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when? Did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? When? And he will reply, truly I tell you whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. What's interesting is it talks about the sheep and the goats are together. In the same pasture, the same shepherd, I have to believe it's talking about the church. And that you could be sitting beside somebody who's going to be separated like that, the sheep from the left to the right. Some in the church are going to go into the inheritance. Some are going to go into the eternal judgment because... Because they didn't look after the brothers, the sisters, God's children. He said, I take it very personally. Saul, you are persecuting me. Me. There's going to be a separation, not because we rejected or accepted Christ alone, but because of how we treated each other. That we walk by the homeless guy. That we walk by the person that has the sign, I'm hungry. And don't give them something to eat. 
or in prison and go, don't go visit them. Or have clothes that we're dropping off to goodwill instead of taking down to the shelter or seeing the person. There's a man that's been sleeping in an alleyway in our own city for days, and I didn't even know about it. Of course, I can't. I'm not, I, God don't expect me to know about it. But when I'm made aware, I need to do something about it. What can I do? God told Ananias, listen, Saul is my chosen one. So we can't pick and choose who we're going to minister to. We can't pick and choose that, oh, that I can see potential on their life. I can see God's going to touch them. Saul was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians. But God told Ananias, go pray for him. Because he is my chosen one. You don't know the person that you pass on the street, who that they might be the next Billy Graham. They might be the next president. They might be the next. You don't know. And you can't say that, oh, but look at them. Could God really use? The song that Cassie sang last night was about I want to waste it all on you. It was the song of the adulteress. It was the song of the, the Mary that came back and broke open that alabaster box and broke it onto the feet of Jesus, poured it out. I want to waste it all on you. I don't care what they say. I don't care how much it costs. You deserve it all. You're worth it all. I want to waste it all on you. What if they would have turned their nose up at her and said, you can't even come into the room because Jesus is in here with us. And look at you. Her story is told over and over again, and it gives hope to us that are broken, that Jesus will remember. He looked down and said, what she's done will be remembered throughout eternity because she gave it all. She gave it all. We can't pick and choose who we're going to minister to. God says it's our responsibility to treat others like we would treat if it was him. There was an old drama we used to do years and years ago, years and years ago, of this woman who was cleaning up her house. She was sitting around. Well, it was messy. Sorry. First, she, it was messy. She was sitting there, and she, the phone rings back when there was house phones. The phone rings, and she picks up the phone, and it's Jesus. She's, oh, Jesus. He says, yes, I'm coming to visit you today. She's like, oh, okay. So she hangs up the phone. Then she starts cleaning up her house, cleaning up her house. And all of a sudden, she gets a knock on the door, and she runs over, and she tries to get her all beautiful. She opens up the door, and it's a homeless guy. And he's got a sign that says, I'm hungry, you know, or help me, any, any bit of money, anything. She goes, what do you want? What do you want? He goes, well, I was wondering if you had a, some change. Something. She goes, oh, I'm sorry, I've got an important guest coming. I can't, 
I can't be bothered right now. Go, go ask the neighbor. And she sends him away and shuts the door. And she's cleaning up the house, cleaning up the house. And all of a sudden, the doorbell rings. She runs back to the door. She opens it. And it's the neighbor saying, hey, could you have a cup of sugar? I'm baking right now and ran out of sugar. And I don't have a car to go. Can you have? I'm sorry. I'm busy. I got an important guest coming over. No, I don't have time to go. to. Just go ask the other neighbor. And she sends her away. And as she's straightening her house, her phone rings again. She picks up, oh, it's a Jesus again. She goes, where have you been? I've been waiting for you, and I've got the house clean. He says, honey, I've been there two times, and you turned me away both times. I'm not coming again. You know, that's how personally God takes our responsibility to care and love for others Jesus said, you are persecuting me. Number three, God blinded Saul. He had to blind Saul. You ever get something so set in your mind and you got to get it done that you just keep running over people to get it done? I had my pastor, Mark, from Charlotte Assembly of God, way back, you know, way back when, you know, I was early in the ministry, and I am a very strong-willed person, and when I have something to do, I do want to get it done, and especially, I'm, you know, when there's a time limit and get it done. And he had to pull me aside, and he said, Brenda, because he knew my heart and God was calling me to be a pastor, he goes, Brenda, I'm going to tell you something that I heard a long time ago, and I want you to be careful that you walk through the crowd slowly. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're such a, a tenacious person. You want to get things done. You're focused. I love that about you. When I ask you to do something, you go right to it. He said, but you're running right by people when you do it. He says, so go ahead and get it done. But something I, I shared with, you know, the church body here when I first came on, people will always be more important than the task. And, but that's something that I had to learn. Because my nature, my human nature, is to just get things done. Then I can rest and relax. But God says, no. And so sometimes he has to blind us to cut off our focus, our wrong focus, to realign our focus. I started working with Brian Mason at this horses. And, of course, I was raised when we had horses growing up. And there's something that I learned about horses is that they have peripheral vision. Their, their eyes are set on the sides of their head. Well, because it's set on the sides of their head, their eyes are constantly looking around them. So, yeah, so there had to uh, be built these blinders and these little pieces of leather that set on the sides of their bridle to help them focus their attention. And actually, some say that the blinders were invented when a preacher had a wager with one of his friends. The preacher bet that his horse would walk up the stairs in his house. which the horse actually did with no problem at all. But when they tried to coax that horse back down again, it wouldn't budge. The preacher covered the horse's head 
and then he could lead him down. He realized that covering all or even part of the horse's vision could encourage the horse to take chances it would not normally take. Sometimes God has to blind us. Sometimes God has to put on his God blinders to focus our attention away from the wrong things that constantly are distracting us and get us looking at his pathway. Because when we get distracted, we get thrown off the path, our priorities will get all mixed up, and we even, our moral standards become out of whack. Saul actually believed he was doing the Lord's work by murdering, persecuting anyone who was following Jesus. God blinded him. And the fourth thing is God gave him a new vision. See, he had to blind him for a little while. He had to put on those God blinders for a little while, for a time. But then he restored his sight and gave him a new vision, a new mission. And in Galatians chapter 1, I love it. Now Saul, now Paul was Saul. Now he explains exactly what happened on that road. In verse 11 of Galatians 1, it says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, he realized that God had called him from his birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with these other people. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Verse 21. Then I went to these other places, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard this report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy, in verse 24, and they praise God because of me. Saul, now Paul, has a new vision. But he had to go through the steps. God had to knock him off that high horse. He had to break that pride in him. He had to bring him broken. Saul was the murderer. We can be just like a murderer. You know, Jesus, he explained that you've heard it said. 
do not commit murder. But I say, even if you're angry at someone, leave everything, everything you're doing right now, and go be reconciled with them. Go fix it. See how personally he takes the treatment of other people, my children? Because he says in 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You see, day after day, we carry this get-out-of-hell-free card. And yet we're too busy, don't want to be bothered to give it to somebody else. Or we pick and choose who we'll share that get-out-of-hell-free card with. And God said, I don't like that. And I will come and I will separate those that treat people the way I want them to, love people the way I want them to be loved. The lesson we learn today from the murderer is we can never say it's too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. There's not one person that is too lost for God to reach. And it's not too hard for God to break your heart and give you a love, his love for people, a new vision, a new mission. It's not too hard for God. So as we close today, I want us to talk just for a second. This encounter with Christ always leaves individuals changed. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you've encountered Christ. There has to be this transformational exchange. We talked about it last week. That what you come, when you come to him broken, he wants to give you healing. There's a transformational change. We read it in uh, Isaiah 61 that he bestows upon us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. When we pour before him our ashes, he wants to give us beauty. He wants to give us joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It's that transformational exchange when we come to him and say, here I am. I'm broken. Have your way that he removes that that shouldn't be in us and puts in us that that should be there. That's when we encounter Christ. God wants to bring beauty out of our brokenness, but we have to come to him broken. He's not going to beautify your brokenness. He's not going to stick a flower on top of your heap of ashes. You have to bring that brokenness to him. It's absurd to think that you need to get right before you come to God. God's mercy knows no limits, and he will stop at nothing for you to come to him broken. So he can then give you all you need. So let's do this. Stand up right where you're at.
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you teach us so many lessons in your word for today, practical lessons for today, even though they were lived out 2,000 years ago. And you, God, are such a personal God. You take it personally, the way that people treat us and the way we treat others. That, God, you even showed us today in your word that you say, when you don't love them, you don't love me. But when you love them, you show your love for me. God, I ask right now that we just come to you in, in our brokenness as a murderer, as a thief, as an adulterer. God, that we've learned in this last two weeks, God, that we just come before you, willingly come before you broken so that you don't have to come and knock us down. But God, we willingly come and bow down before you broken God and we ask Lord that you would encounter us in a way that changes us that transforms us into a new being Lord that beats a heart that beats hard for you that loves others as you would have us to love others Lord that has a new mission and a new vision like you gave to Saul and God that you begin to move us by your hand, Lord, that you have your way with our life. Lord, not that we try to fit you into our life, but that you constantly reign over our lives for your glory. God, that in our brokenness, you can bring beauty. And God, you can share our life with others that will help encourage them to come broken before you because you're waiting there to exchange with them their brokenness for beauty. God, you have so much more for our lives. God, we just ask right now that you have your way. Lord, in us individually, Lord, that we can then come corporately together, united together, as Jesus cried out in the garden and prayed, Lord, let them be one as we are one. God, help us to then come together and be one. Lord, to love others, to take care of others. Lord, to follow your mission, your plan, your vision for our lives and for this church, for this city, and for this world. God, that you could come quickly and we would be ready for your return. That we'll be ready to go quickly to be separated on your right with the sheep because we've cared for, taken care of, fed, clothed, the hungry, those in need, like you'd have us to. God, just do a work right now. Suddenly, 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 immediately, and at once. Where words describe the encounter you had with Saul. And God, I ask now that you come suddenly, flash around us a light from heaven that would put a light on anything in our lives that's sin, that's, that's not pleasing to you. Put a light on it suddenly 
and immediately remove it, bring it to our attention, and help us like your word says, that you would help us, God, be sorrowful and repentant of our sin. Immediately point those things out. And then at once Saul went and preached. God, and I pray that at once, as we say amen in this service, that at once we go out and begin to live like you want us to live. Begin to take these lessons into account and begin putting into practice loving and living the way that you're calling us to. And now we just ask that you would just take this day, God, and mark it in our memory as the day that we encountered Christ and never again to be the same, that that transformational bondage-breaking encounter with Christ happened today. Have your way now. In Jesus' name, amen.